Welcome to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. My name is Justin Wheeler. I am the preaching pastor for Cornerstone. And today we are in week 33 of our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism. Today I'm going to be discussing with you questions 88, 89, 90, and 91. And uh, if you were with us last week, you will remember that uh, we began a new section in the Catechism. And today we're going to continue in that. Uh, The Catechism is broken into three parts, what we would call guilt, understanding um, what what we have done as human beings uh, to separate ourselves from God. So it talks about guilt, and then it moves on to this section of grace where we understand what God has done to bring us back into right fellowship and relationship with Him. And now we're looking at the gratitude portion of the Catechism, which talks about our response to the work of God's grace in our lives. But don't get the impression that the whole section is about the various ways that we experience and express the emotion of gratitude. It it might be better to think of this third section in terms of the appropriate response that we should show in both heart and life to the grace of God. So this whole gratitude section is not just about emotions and feelings. It's about uh, emotions as well as actions. It's about heart as well as life. You see, gratitude is not expressed in emotions alone. It also directs our actions. And that is what we're going to be discussing from this point forward. And today, specifically, we're going to talk about the response of conversion, the response to the grace of God that the Bible refers to and theologians refer to as conversion, or what the question refers to as genuine repentance or conversion. So let's let's get into that. Let's look at question number 88. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? And the answer is this, two things, the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new. Now, I really appreciate uh, Kevin DeYoung's opening thoughts on this question. Uh, Now, throughout the year, as I've been working through this Heidelberg Catechism, I've been leaning pretty heavily on Kevin DeYoung and his work in a book um, titled The Good News We Almost Forgot, which basically what Kevin does in that book is exactly what I'm doing here, as he works through the Heidelberg Catechism and he provides commentary on that. And he does a great job in the opening section of this chapter, just kind of setting the tone for what this is all about. He, he writes this way. He says, Conversion is essential to the gospel. The world needs to learn, and we frequently need to be reminded that Christian, uh, that Christian life is not about refurbishing a few morals here or helping uh, find your own spiritual, unique spiritual journey there. It's not simply about trying to uh, get you to agree to a few theological statements The Christian life, the Christian experience is about the need to be converted. Now, many of you have, maybe you've experienced this, you've come up against this in your discussions with other people, because here's the deal. Within our American culture, there is this idea that conversion needs to really be set aside. Uh, There was a time when thinking about and understanding the role of Christian conversion, the need to truly be born again, was deeply rooted in our culture. But it is no longer. We've set that whole idea aside, and we've done it on purpose. All Americans will accept the fact, well, not all, but at least most Americans, the vast majority of Americans will accept the fact that we are not perfect people. 
and most Americans will still accept the fact that we are, in some ways, broken. So we're not perfect, but we are broken. There are problems. Um, But few are willing to accept the fact that we need to be utterly changed, that we need to be truly converted. I mean, maybe we need to just turn over a new leaf, or maybe we just need to have a fresh start, or maybe we just need um, some some new people in our lives, or some uh, take a vacation, or maybe we just need to get our minds right about some things. That's the way our culture wants to view it. But when we do that, we are our thinking is assuming that our problems are actually small problems, and that they're problems that we can handle on our own. But when the Bible speaks about our problems, our deep-down needs, it refers to them as anything but small. In fact, according to Scripture, we find this. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We're not just a little bit messed up. We're not just a little bit off. We don't just need a little bit of a vacation to get our minds right. We are actually fundamentally flawed at the core of who we are. According to the Bible, there is none good. There's not even one. We have all gone astray. In Genesis chapter 6, God gives us an assessment of the state of mankind, and it is not even close to being uh, manageable, at least not for us. The Bible says this in Genesis 6-5, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord, having seen this, regretted that he had made man, and it grieved God to his heart. Now, that's a far cry from, well, we just need to change a few things and we need to turn over a new leaf. The Bible says that our human condition is far more serious than we care to admit. And therefore, the remedy is far more involved than we realize. We don't simply need to make a few changes. We need to be utterly changed. We need to be utterly converted from the inside out. And so Kevin Young is absolutely right. This issue of conversion is essential to the gospel. Okay, so if that's true, conversion, we need to understand what conversion means. And there's probably a few other words that we need to know as well. So let's look at some of the backstory here. Why is con- what is conversion and why is it necessary? Uh, what is going on? So let's look at a few more words. Conversion is important. Conversion is understood to be, uh, if we can give it a definition, it's understood to be the, the human response Um, to the work of grace in our lives. It is the response to the Holy Spirit's work of regeneration. Now, there's another big word. What is regeneration, and how does it relate to conversion? Well, regeneration, or the new birth, um, is the secret or mysterious act of God in which He imparts new spiritual life to us. The work of regeneration is the work of God alone, right? I mentioned earlier from Ephesians 2 that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, which means that we are not active. Uh, We are dead. We are dead men. We are dead women. And God imparts new life to us through the power of His Spirit. That's the, the theological term that we put on that is regeneration. Jesus used this phrase. He says we need to be born again. Well, we are born from above. We're born by the power of God. We are passive in regeneration. God is active. In fact, the scriptures not only say that we are inactive, 
uh, that we are passive, but that we are dead. That's why regeneration must occur for us to be saved. Regeneration is the mysterious act of God where he reaches down and he cleanses us from sin by the blood of Christ. He creates in us a new heart and he fills us with his spirit who guides us in truth and righteousness. And this, this work of God in us, enables us to respond to the call of God with faith and repentance. And that response to God's call is what we would understand to be conversion. So conversion is our, now, in regeneration, we are passive. God is active. Now, in our conversion, we are active. We are willingly responding to the gospel call. And and we are sincerely repenting of sins, and we are sincerely placing our trust, our faith in Christ for salvation. And and we would even understand this, that everything that happens within the Christian life um, is a work of God's grace. It's either an act of God's grace or it's a progressive work of God's grace. Um, And so conversion has two sides to it. It has a divine side. God is working in us, and it has a human side. We are actively working uh, as well. Our repentance and faith are active, uh, meaning the opposite of passive. We don't just sit on our hands and allow God to believe and repent for us. We actively repent. We actively believe. But the Spirit of God is at work in us in, in ways that we don't fully understand. We are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, understanding that it is God who is at work in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, so now that I've completely and thoroughly confused you, let's get back to the thing at hand. So regeneration is the work of God that brings us to new life, and conversion is the continuing work of God that uh, motivates us, that animates us, um, that brings us to the point of responding Um, to that work with faith and repentance. Um, And the ways that we are going to repent uh, specifically is what the catechism is all about. So let's get back to that first question, question 88. What is involved in genuine repentance? And the answer is this, two things, the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new. The coming to life of the new. So we have two more words Uh, to think about. Dying away to the old self, true conversion involves what we would call mortification, the dying to our sinful way of life. And then um, we are also coming to a new way of life. Theologians refer to that as vivification, V-I-V-I-F-I-C-A-T-I-O-N, vivification. So mortification is putting off, it's repenting and turning away from sin, and vivification is learning to live and walk in a new life in Christ. And that's the, the first question. Now let's look at question number 89. What is, what do these things mean? What is the dying away of the old self? Well, the answer is that it is to be genuinely sorry for sin, to hate it more and more, and to run away from it. So conversion involves both the heart, the genuine sorrow over sin, and it involves the life, turning and running away from it. It involves the heart because true repentance begins with genuine sorrow over sin. You might remember having read through 2 Corinthians chapter 7 where the Apostle Paul, he talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. Worldly sorrow is when we feel bad that we get caught. Godly sorrow is when we come to feel bad that we have sinned against God. And true repentance is something that starts in the heart, a heart specifically that grieves over sin. But that grief eventually 
uh, leads to action. We begin to hate our sin and eventually we turn and run away from it. So it's not just an emotion of being genuinely sorry and grieving, uh, but it, it leads to a, a reformation of life. And theolog- uh, theologians call this contrition. Contrition is a kind of grief that leads to repentance, and it is motivated by a godly remorse. So remember, two things that we're going to see there, both the heart and the life. And and let's think about a biblical illustration of this. Where do we see this actually happening in Scripture, where someone has come to a point of godly sorrow that leads to a reformed life? Well, you could probably think of a bunch of people, but uh, one of them that comes to mind, maybe one of the, the, the key individuals in Scripture, is David. And David, in Psalm 51, he showed a true godly sorrow. He grieved over the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba and the sin that he had committed against Uriah. He grieved uh, because he had sinned against the grace of God. He actually says, against you and you only have I sinned. And he's talking to God. So he is preeminently concerned with the fact, not that he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah, as awful as that was. He's concerned chiefly with the fact that he sinned against his King and Lord. And then his grief, his sorrow, led him to genuine repentance. True repentance is not just being stirred in our hearts to feel bad. True repentance is when the stirring of our hearts leads to a change of life. And David truly repented in grief, and he sought not to commit that sin again. So, Now, what is the dying away of the old self? It's mortifying our sin with godly sorrow over that sin and a running away or a turning away from that sin. All right, question number 90. What is the coming to life of the new self? That word I mentioned earlier is vivification. What is that? And here's the answer. It is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants. So this is the second half of true conversion. We go from a wholehearted grief over sin that leads us to reform our lives to being filled with a wholehearted joy in the gospel, in God through Christ, and a sincere desire to obey God out of gratitude for His grace. So again, we're talking about heart and life. It might be helpful to think about it in this way. Um, Going back to what we said earlier, when we were dead in our sins, our heart and life were completely given over to the world. But in true conversion, our heart and life are completely renewed by God. We were blind, but now we see. We were in prison. We were enslaved to our sin, but now we are free. Now we have been set free. And that freedom that we have through Christ, it brings joy to our hearts and it brings a new direction in the way we live our lives. So conversion is about transformation. Now maybe you can identify with this. When I was in school, I remember studying the life cycle of various animals like uh, you know, tadpoles and caterpillars. And I'm sure that many of you did the same thing. Let's, let's focus in on the caterpillar. The caterpillar, as interesting as that little creature might have been, it started out as a fairly slow, dull, very limited creature, right? It just crawled along, inched its way through life. Um, But there came a time in its life cycle when that caterpillar, that slow, dull, limited creature, would build a cocoon. 
and it would live inside that cocoon. And while it was inside that cocoon over a period of time, it was undergoing a radical change, a radical transformation. And we call this change metamorphosis. And when the time comes, that caterpillar will emerge from the cocoon and it is no longer what it once was. It has completely transformed from a caterpillar into a butterfly. And metamorphosis, that radical transformation, that radical change that has taken place, is a picture of human conversion. By the power and grace of God, we are completely changed from being um, dead in sin, um, living for ourselves, uh, children of wrath. That's what we once were in heart and life, completely given to all of those things. But now, because of the power and grace of God, we are alive in Christ. We have been made new. We have been raised to new life. Both heart and life have been renewed. And so we feel a wholehearted joy in God over this, and our lives respond with the desire, even a delight, to do the good that God has called us to do. Now, last question. What is the good that we are to do? Uh, What do we do that is good? Question 91. Only that which arises out of true faith, conforms to God's law, and is done for His glory, and not that which is based on what we think is right or on established human tradition. And there's a lot packed into this particular answer. True goodness or true conversion of life Uh, It it arises out of true faith. It is conforming to God's law. It is done for God's glory and not our own. It is done in a way that is based on what the Word of God says, not on what we think. And it's not based on human tradition. It's based on the revelation of God. Now, I love one of my favorite chapters in all of the New Testament is Ephesians chapter 2, specifically verses 1 through 10. And, And the reason I love this chapter is because it gives us a... Um, kind of like a quick hit theological understanding of what has taken place in us through this whole process of salvation and on into the Christian life. I mean, it's 10 verses just packed full of theological explanation. It talks about our spiritual state apart from Jesus, dead in sins, children of wrath, following the prince of the power of the air. It reveals just how sinful our sin was. But then it moves very quickly from focusing on our sin, the bad news of the gospel, um, to the behind the scenes work of God and the love that God has for us even while we were sinners. The Bible says in the midst of all of our sin, God in his love had a purpose and a plan and he began to work in such a way that he would bring us to life. We were dead, but he made us alive through Jesus. And it's all a work of God's grace. And then when you come to the end of Ephesians 2, uh, 1 through 10, you read verses 8, 9, and 10. And they serve as kind of a summary of all of God's work in us. And it says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of your work so that you don't have anything to boast about. For we, those who have been changed, those who have received His grace, those who have been converted, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, there is a beautiful complexity in Ephesians 2 
But there's also something of a profound simplicity. God has done this amazing work of grace in our hearts to bring us to salvation by faith in Jesus. And he has done this work in us so that we will accomplish good works. He wants us to do good in this world. He wants our heart and life to reflect his goodness and glory. And the good that we do is not based on our own ideas. It's not even based on our own established cultural traditions. The good we are called to do by God, we're called to walk in, is outlined for us in His Word. Now, you may know this already, but if not, I'm going to tell you. Over the next several weeks, we are going to be looking at what these good works are wrapped up in. What, what is entailed in this understanding of the fact that we have been called to do good? And we're going to do that by just unpacking our Christian understanding of how the law of God, specifically the Ten Commandments of God, still apply to our lives. So over the next several weeks, we're going to be learning the scope and sequence of the good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. So I hope that you will join me again next week and in subsequent weeks as we look at these things. Next week, we're going to look at Lord's Day 34, questions 92 through 95. Now, if you want to learn more about Cornerstone Baptist Church, you can find us online at cornerstonewiley.org. And you can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at CBCWiley. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cornerstonewiley. And you can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Google Play to stay up to date on all the new content. Thank you so much for listening.